Listener Production. You are listening to episode 20 of the Howie Games Artist Series, Part B, featuring cricketer, singer, and great man, Henry Alonga. Briefly, just give me a couple of brief thoughts on a couple of games I'd like to mention to you because we need to get back to music. 1998, you versus Tendulkar. I've gone back, I've looked at the clips. This is you tearing in to one of the best batsmen we've ever seen. Yeah, but all eyes on this man now, Henry Olunga. Bowled so well against the Indians in the first game he played here. Four wickets in that match, was also the man of the match. And he was the man who surprised Tendulkar and dismissed him. So we could really have a contest on our hands here. You've knocked him over, it's fiery, he's come after you. I was watching it yesterday, Henry. It was why we go to the cricket. Absolutely. A fast bowler having a real crack at a premier batsman. Yeah, he was at his peak back then. My word he was. And were you too. But he's now all warmed up and everything. He just wants to dish out a little bit of punishment. The man who got him out in such a, well, surprising, embarrassing way the other night. But the trajectory of my comeback was such that, as I said, 98 was, was my, my uh, real, uh, my renaissance, if you will. So the rebirth of Henry Longo was a test match against India in Harare. Um, the the uh, chairman of selectors said, get five wickets or we'll never pick you again. <laughs> as you hard. do. He was giving me an incentive, I suppose. So right. guess what? I got five wickets. Of course. And we won the test match. Man of the match, etc. So they didn't normally look at me for one day because I was a bit loose. But because I was bowling quick, they said, we're going to take you to Sharjah. So they picked me in the squad. I got a Sharjah. I didn't play any games in the prelim rounds. Uh, and there's one game left at the end, which is a dead rubber. Sri Lanka, I think. I think it was Sri Lanka. They're going home. Zimbabwe, India in the final. We've got this one more game. So guess what? We can pick a longer. Now, I didn't have... If you watch the video again, I didn't even have my name. They didn't... I wasn't even in the squad originally, so they didn't have my name on the back of my shirt. Everyone else did. So I was a last sort of filler. I was just a ringer, put in at the last minute. And of course, I just grabbed it by the by the horns, if you will, and, and just took the opportunity and got Tendulkar, sorry, I got Dra- um, Ganguly, Dravid, Tendulkar, and got a run out, man of the match. I'm thinking, life's good. But that was a dead rubber. Didn't matter, right? <laughs> uh, so Alistair Campbell, our captain, says, Olonga's playing in the final. I don't care. I don't care if he hasn't played in the last few matches. He's not match fit, whatever. He's playing. So they picked me. And I, I look, I bowled quick. I threw everything I had at him. But he had an answer. And that's, that's look, as you say, that's those are the kinds of moments we love to watch in sport. For me, it's Nadal versus, uh, you know, Medvedev. Yep. When it looks like he's out of it and he just fights back. And, yes. Or, or whatever sport you pick, the greats just have that little bit of extra that enables them to, in those crunch moments, come up with the goods. And he did on that occasion. I don't think he played any false strokes either. Right. I, I don't think I can go away and go, oh, you know, I almost had him <laughs> caught at third mad or what. He just played flawlessly. And he was mad. Yeah, it was a real gamble playing for a longer. You've got to feel for him. 
had such a good game last night. Four overs for 40, it looks like, for him. Here's the thing that a lot of people don't know is, and I've heard about this later on, um, he was absolutely embarrassed by the way I got him out in the dead rubber. Uh, it was a, a short-pitched ball, banged into the pitch, and it sort of, uh, yeah, he, he kind of popped it to silly silly point or something. Yes. Um, Grant Flower caught it easy. Um, but I also bowled a no ball before I got him out. So I got him out in like two, 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 twice in two balls in a sense. Yes. Even though one wasn't legal. And so he was mad that I got him out like that. And I heard he went home uh, or to the hotel and he'd listened to Guns N' Roses or something like that throughout the night, just like prior to the, to the final. And uh, uh, he, he, was, he went ballistic. He was, he was awesome. I mean, it's one of those moments in sport where although you're on the receiving end, you, you, you can't do anything but admire the skill, the talent, the gifting that the guy had. Yes. Um, he was phenomenal. One other game. Uh, I take you to the 1999 World Cup. So for those, uh, jump on YouTube. India required 253. They are seven required to win when Henry comes on in the second second last over, I think, in a rain-shortened game. Mm-hmm. So India, enormous. Zimbabwe, the term is cricket minnows with the greatest respect versus the powerhouse yep. of India. India, uh, uh, close to the victory, then hate you longer comes in with white ball in hand, India three wickets in hand, Henry, and then bang, bang, bang. He's bound to be, he's out. Peter Willis decided that that's LBW and a remarkable win by Zimbabwe. Henry Alonga has cleaned up the tail and Zimbabwe win by three runs. Um, they need, as you point out, eight runs, a couple of overs, Um and Alistair Campbell comes walking up to me and he said to me something to the effect of, this is why we've picked you, Henry. <laughs> Stuart Carlisle, I think, was at mid-off and he was like, you can make history today, buddy. Now, I'd been, I'd been practicing Yorkers for a long time in the nets. You know, we, 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 it, it was horses for courses. Um, we knew what England was like. We knew it was reverse swinging that summer. And I knew I just needed to bowl just enough balls in the right place to give myself a chance. And so I, I felt good about myself and I thought, yeah, this feels like a moment of history. So yes. I came round the wicket to Robin Singh. He scooped it up to Alistair Campbell. And that's a catch. That's out. Alistair Campbell's taking a low diving catch forward. And that's the end of Robin Singh. Well, this game still... I then bowled the perfect Yorker to Javigal Srinath. Bowled him. That's it, Henry Alonga's taking his second wicket in the over. Srinath, clean bold. And that left them still needing something like four runs. So one hit away. and um, Nine down. Nine down, yeah. And Venkatesh Prasad walks out and I thought, oh, hang on. I don't remember seeing him in the nets uh, <laughs> and looking anything more than a rabbit like I am. So, so I just thought if I just get it straight and it swings a little bit in. Um, um, I've got a chance. Anyway, ran in, uh, bowled a, a pretty... L- it was a length ball. It wasn't as full as I would have liked it. Um, but anyway, it hit his pad. But because they didn't need a lot of runs, my first instinct was to run for the ball. 
And as I started to run for the ball, I thought to myself, hang on, that was pretty close. <laughs> so I turned around and uh, gave, gave it the old, how was that? And I think it was uh, Mr. Willie, oh, yeah. uh, who was, uh, Peter Willie was the umpire in his wonderful left hand. I've never seen such a beautiful left finger come up. <laughs> um, and he gave Prasad out and, and that was the end of the match. We won. He's bouncing, he's out. Peter Willie's decided that that's LBW. Um, I was man of the match. The Indian fans were stoning their own bus because, of course, this meant that yes. put, it put their chances in jeopardy for progressing. And that gave us a real chance uh, in, in the World Cup. And in fact, from then on, we went on to qualify for the Super 6 stage uh, by beating South Africa. And, uh, uh, of course, in the Super 6 stage, we, we didn't progress much further. But it, th- that was a wonderful match. And Longer coming back on, who would have thought that this is third over, fourth over. He's got three wickets for 22. And disappointment there for India in a match that they felt that they should have won. We get to the 2003 World Cup, which is in South Africa, Zimbabwe and Kenya. Um, and you and Andy Flower got together to protest and mourn the death of democracy in Zimbabwe. Now, we don't need to go too far into the politics, but mm-hmm. what was it from your perspective that started this whole training process that caused the end of your career and and threats to your life without getting carried away? Yeah, so a couple of things. In fact, maybe two or three things, and I'll try and be brief, but the first thing was the Zimbabwe that I grew up in loved and represented as a, as a sportsman. Um, obviously was starting to have these political troubles um, that had existed for a long time. I mean, early 80s, Mugabe yes. uh, is quote-unquote guilty of human rights abuses and uh, crimes against humanity, you name it. Um, uh, and on top of that, um, I was I was involved with a charity called the Mumvuri Project. Uh, and with rampant corruption in the country, I was just always on edge about how there didn't really seem to be care and concern for the vulnerable people of society, whereas these fat cats, these pollies, uh, who were sponging off the people's taxes, you know, uh, were able to build new mansions, etc. I mean, this is a long involved story, which I, I mentioned in my autobiography. But, yes. Uh, cutting it short, that was another factor. Of course, some people may well remember the political unrest around about that time with farms being invaded and war veterans taking over and the lawlessness uh, that was happening around about that time. And, uh, of course, my my deep religious beliefs, I just felt it was just wrong how all of this was going. Um, um, the country was going backwards and politically there were issues, socially there were issues. Mm. Um, and so Andy Flower and I, and Andy, um, I'll just give you a little bit of a brief background on his motivation. He, of course, can fill the blanks, but um, he he had a friend who'd lost a farm. So, so when you mean lost a farm, for those that aren't familiar with the situation, there was, a, there was farmers kicked off their land and it was... Uh, taken for others, yeah? Is that is that the easiest Correct. way to describe so it? So it was a compulsory land redistribution program. I yes. guess for Australians, I don't know if this goes all over the world, but for Australians, yes, yeah. they would understand if Indigenous people said to, um, to, to the people of this country, 
you guys stole it from us thousands yep. of years ago, hundreds of years ago, whatever. And, um, and we're taking it back. Yeah. And we're taking it by force. And we're not paying you a cent because you stole it in the first place. Yeah. And by force. It, it's, it's a complex situation. So people can understand that analogy. Well, that's kind of what happened in Zimbabwe, except uh, the black people were the majority. So there'd been a lot of white farmers who'd bought land after independence with their own money. It wasn't sort of passed down the generations. Um, and they all got caught up in this. And I think this gentleman was one of those victims where the government said, we're taking your land. We're not going to pay you money for it. We're just taking it. And this is a mate of Andy's, is it? Correct. So he came to Andy and said, you guys can't play in the World Cup in good conscience, knowing that this kind of stuff's happening. You can't just play as if it's business as usual. Um, and then we get that uncomfortable joining of sport and politics. Yeah. And so he, he Andy approached me, told me what he thought about this and could I go and co-opt some of the black players to join in some kind of protest, some kind of boycott. Um, anyway, long story short, he and I decided in the end that it would be a more powerful statement if just the two of us made it, excluding the others for all sorts of manner of complicated reasons. It's just impossible to get yes. 15 players to agree on something so charged. Uh, and so... I was keen to do something because of, as I mentioned, those things that had motivated me to feel something needs to be said or done. And Andy, because of this this mate that gave him a nudge. And so we, we got together over the period of about a month. We met with a, a lawyer called David Coltart. We discussed different ways of making a statement. And so we settled on wearing black armbands as mourning the death of democracy and actually writing a statement as well. Um, and... We uh, did this protest. Which went worldwide, was... Henry. People need to understand it's a World Cup, it's a big stage. This wasn't a small thing that was reported. This was a worldwide point of discussion, which which highlighted what was happening in your country, which was the whole reason for doing it, I presume. Absolutely, yes. So um, it was the first match against Namibia, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, we, we um, uh, wore the black armbands, released the statement to the media, the gentleman I mentioned earlier on, uh, um, Jeffrey Dean, was the journalist we handed the statement off to. Okay. I printed it off at home. We'd we'd uh, discussed it to and fro with the lawyer over the period of about a month, and we finally came on the final draft. And so the night before, uh, in fact, the final net session before the match, I handed them to Andy, who went to the hotel, who handed it to the journalist. So 9.30 at the toss, uh, the team was announced. They couldn't change the team. He handed it out to the press, and then it did go out to the world. Um, and there's not enough time in a short podcast like this to cover all the consequences, but long story short, we were told to recant and retract the statement. We said no. Who's telling um, you that? The, the Zimbabwe uh, the cricket, cricket board. The cricket, the cricket board, board. Okay. yes. Yep. Um, and then they went to the ICC. The ICC washed their hands of it. They said, we can't... Because you have to understand, most of the world, um, at least the Western world were not happy with what Mugabe was doing. In fact, England didn't come to Zimbabwe in protest. That's right. Australia, Australia still came. That's and right. And that cost England. That cost England that World Cup. Yes. Um, all the world heard about it. Uh, not everyone was on side. I got vilified in the local press in Zimbabwe. I got dropped from the team. And eventually I got death threats, which uh, led to me having to flee at the end of the World Cup into exile. 
and go to England. So, how does a it, death it, threat come your way? If you don't mind me asking, like you say casually, I got death threats, but I'm listening to that thinking, by gee, you're you're a bloke playing cricket who's done what he's thought is right for his country and his people. Um, death threat doesn't really roll off my tongue like it does yours. Yeah. But is, is it a letter? Is it a phone call? Is it someone tapping you on the it shoulder? It was an email. Street? It was an email. An email. Initially, it was an email, and then secondly. One of the managers of the Zimbabwe cricket team, a man called Dan Stannard, had spoken to my dad and said that they're going to come after me after the World Cup. Jeez. And a lady who worked in an office of a government minister overheard him saying, that a longer guy thinks he's so clever, just wait till the World Cup's over and we'll sort him out. Oh, wow. um, like, like, And we're talking about a regime that was very efficient in yes. making people disappear or have an accident and they've got two bullet holes in their head, that sort of thing. So um, the threats were real, they were credible. And uh, it was while I was in South Africa that I realized, okay, it's the game's up for me, metaphorically and literally, and that I had to flee and go abroad. Um, and there was there were so many wonderful people who enabled that. There were the, the folk in, in England, the BBC Channel 4, they offered me the opportunity to do some commentary uh, over that summer, Zimbabwe were on tour. Um, there was a cricket club called the Lashings World Eleven. Yes. They had me come over and spend uh, a number of years with them, nine in the end, played with a lot of Aussies and made a lot of good friends over that period of time. And um, in in a sense, England was the one country that did offer me refuge. Um, I could have ended up anywhere in the world, I guess, but no one else made it su- such a simple path uh, that I ended up going to England. Uh, if you if you had your time again uh, as a father and a a middle-aged man looking back on what happened as a result of your actions would you still stand up and have the courage to do what you did yeah absolutely i think mm. i think it was different for me because i didn't have a family so yes. andy did yes he had he had a couple of kids by this stage. Um, I was single. I would do it all, all over again because it was the right thing to do. And it's yeah. hard to really explain this um, to 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 folk who really espouse the value of cricket. Um, so there, there are a lot of people who are like, "Oh, you were stupid. Why? You know, why did you give up your cricket career, playing for your country, traveling the world, and all the luxuries uh, and benefits that brought?" Um, and on the, on, the, on the one hand, because I have so many varied interests in life, not just mm. social justice, not just sport, not just music and drama, not just faith, um, all those things converged to make me realize that the issues in the country were bigger than just a career that I had. Hmm. And I think I live like that most of the time. I mean, look, if I was playing for a nation right now with two kids, it would give me pause for thought. Um, I, I might do it differently, but the way I'm wired and the way I know myself, if I had my time over again and circumstances were the same, I would still do it because it was always the right thing to do. There's never a wrong time to do the right thing. You know what I mean? Um, and of course I might get to the end of my life and my eulogy, I hope will be richer than he took 68 test wickets and he took you know 58 one day international wickets i mean look i was never going to be a great uh you know warney was great murali's great 
McGrath, James Anderson, all of these guys um, have tremendous exploits in on the cricket pitch, in the cricket arena. Um, but I have interests that go beyond that. And I suspect, uh, given my life uh, over again, I, I would do the same thing because that's how I'm wired as a human being. I, I have concern for my fellow man. I have... Uh, um, uh, an idea of what social justice is and, and that the wrong thing to do is to ignore the plight of your fellow man when they're in distress. So, uh, yes, I would do it again. Um, the consequences were not pleasant. Um, but sometimes, you know, to do the right thing, you've got to, you've got to go through a bit of pain. Back to Henry shortly. One of the more left-of-centre episodes that we have been privileged to feature on the Howie Games Artist Series. It was back episode 5, October 2021. We tracked down a true legend of Hollywood. How we tracked him down, that's a story in itself. A movie producer by the name of Gene Kirkwood. Now, Gene got his big start in the movies when he made a little boxing movie called Rocky. It's iconic movie-making gene and, and running through the streets and then obviously up the, the steps of the art museum. Is that written in the script, that location? Yeah, yeah. Or, or, everything, okay. yeah, everything. We need, everything had to be there. It's the only way you can really make movies. You can improv and things happen, but film is so final. And if you don't have it in a cannon, you can't go back. I can't go back and run up the stairs again once I wrap, I'm out of there. And so uh, you, you try to put everything down. Everything was pretty well... Pretty well done. The, the the montage of the training again, like we had to get out of there, so we so we said when we with Gareth just run through the market. Matter of fact, when the guy throws him a fruit when he's running, yes, you see when he's ready. That was all improv. Ah. <laughs> you know, just threw it to you know. So that so we we kept we just kept going, uh, uh, and the only scene we had to worry about really was the interior of the pet store, because the people wanted us out of there pretty quick, and it was a strange thing. Yeah. You've mentioned a few times we had to get out of there. We had to keep moving. What, yeah. what was the what, – did you need permits? What was the – or did yeah, you not you have permits? permits? Yeah, you had to be like a citizen. I wasn't like a citizen, you know what I mean? We got we had a well, – we had a neighbour crew, uh, which is non-union, and some of my crew was union from Hollywood, and they were very strict in, in those days. Uh, matter of fact, the, the production manager, his pop passed away about two weeks before. And so we're going to this location because I had to pay the guys off in cash. I had $36,000 in cash <laughs> to pay to pay the crew. And he, he started to cry as we're going down there. So I said, Jesus, I'm so sorry you know, about your dad. He says, it's not my dad. I don't want to get robbed. <laughs> You know, you know, he, he thought he was going to get robbed there. It was the union and everything. I said, no, you're not going to get robbed. Nothing's going to happen to you. Go back and check out Gene, 5th of October 2021, as he takes us behind the scenes of Hollywood and the movies. All right, let's get back to Henry. Time goes on. You're in England. You come to Australia. My family are big fans of The Voice. My wife watches it with my two kids and I am i think I'm reading the paper one night and all of a sudden there's this bloke singing on The Voice and my wife's saying, babe, you got to check out this bloke. And I drift past and I'm like, 
that's Henry Alonga. She said, who's Henry Alonga? I was like, Henry Alonga, bold with wheels. He knocked over Ten Dulker. And she's, she's like, no, you've got the wrong bloke. I said, I tell you, that's Henry Alonga. And then it gets to the end. You know, Boy George is turning around. People are turning around and they call you Henry. And I've told you that that's Henry Alonga. So how, how did you end up on The Voice? the day when I send all my doubts and demons on their way. Oh, wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. Give me this moment, this precious chance. I'll I guess, yeah, you, you came back into my mind because I used to watch you as a cricketer and all of a sudden you're on a reality TV show singing like a bloody angel, Henry, along. <laughs> That's very kind of you. Um, well, came over here in 2015 and... I'm just minding my own business um, for a number of years, but I start to sing around the place. I then join up a charity as an ambassador called Second Chances. Uh, Second Chances goes to prisons, and well, I certainly go to prisons along with the charity, and I, I, I talk to them about you know making good life choices, turning it around, etc. And through my association with this charity, um, the the CEO of Second Chances bumped into the community officer for the SAPOL, uh, the South Australian police. And he was a great cricket fan. And he said, oh, you know what? It would be great if, I've heard Henry sings, it would be great if I can get the police band to do a gig with Henry. So uh, this was organized and it happened. And it happened at the uh, Adelaide Town Hall. It was well, well attended, maybe 600 people there. And I guess one of them must have taken a little video of it and of stuck it somewhere. So I get an email a few months later and the subject for the email was the voice. And I thought, here we go. Now you have to understand, I have a natural cynicism <laughs> of reality TV shows. I just, and I throw the voice into that category, by the way. Of course. Um, uh, I, I just, I've just never thought they were real. I never thought they were in your own interests. Um, I've never been one of those guys who wants to just stay in the limelight for the sake of it. You know, there's some people who just do the the tour of going on The Voice, The Masked Singer. Into the jungle. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I've never been one of those guys. I've always looked at them and thought, oh, you're just, uh, you know, famous a publicity whore. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. So um, I had a cynicism for, for it. But anyway, I received the email. I read it. And it came from an ITV.com domain. So let's say her name was Dolly. I don't know what her name yep. was, but it, it's, it's, her email was dolly at ITV.com. So I thought, well, that's, or .co.uk or something like that. So I thought, well, that's from the UK. They've mistakenly thought I'm still living in the UK. Okay. So I replied, and she, oh, she'd said, we'd love to have you on the show. We've seen some of your singing. It would be great to have you. So I replied, as I do, because I was receiving lots of emails from people who didn't know I'd moved to Australia 2015. And she she then, um, so I said, I'm sorry, I'm not there anymore, but it's not my kind of thing anyway, see you later. So she came back to me and said, no, 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 I'm actually in, in Sydney. <laughs> and so she said, well, think about it. By the way, the uh, uh, applications end in about a week. So if you want to be on the show, you've got to make your mind up quickly. And I was like, ah, I hate this kind of pressure. So I thought about it long and hard. I spoke to some friends. I spoke to my wife. I sp and all of them were overwhelmingly positive about it. I still had my apprehensions, but I said, oh, what the heck? Let me go for it. So I, had, I, I uh, filled in the form online. Uh, then um, 
I got through that sort of vetting process and then I went and did an audition at a hotel here in Adelaide. I got through that. I, I tell you what, I felt really old, Howie. <laughs> I walked I walked in and I suspect that 99% of people who were at that audition at the hotel were 17 and younger. So you can imagine how I stood out like a sore thumb. However, Henry, and, none of them had played 30 tests for their country, Henry. And not a lot of them walked out of the audition with a piece of paper there saying you go. they got through. <laughs> so, so I was like, well, I've gotten through a couple of stages, so the, this is good. Um, then they have another stage called the key test or key something where they, they choose the, the keys. And if you get through that stage, and in our case... Um, I had to fly to Melbourne because Adelaide didn't have enough people for them to come down here. If you get through that stage, it means you're going to be on the blinds. So I I got through that stage. A couple of my colleagues who flew up with me to Melbourne didn't get through, but I did. And so the ship just kept sailing. And I was like, wow, this is happening. Do I still want this? Can I pull out now? Anyway, I just went with it. And then the blind audition comes up in in March or sometime like that. I obviously it's filmed before time, so it's broadcast later on in the year, in the middle of the year, but the auditions were in March and it was a a pretty tough time. My father-in-law had died. Um, I I was feeling ill, but I went through with it anyway and I I got through the blinds. So I, it's a very, first of all, just a a little description. It's a very cold stage. You walk out and people think it looks so, you know, nice and warm and there's these lights and there's the smoke machines going. But it's actually temperature-wise, it's freezing in there. So you walk out there, so and you, you it's don't pitch meet, black. You don't meet the judges beforehand. You haven't met no, Boy no, George, no, no, no. right? So you just roll no, no, straight no. out there into this cold studio. Yep. That, you see the chairs; um, they're turned away from you, and you have no idea. Think about this: you have no idea whether anyone will turn. So you're filled with this dread on the one hand, but you're filled with the excitement of. Of, of doing something new, you're stretching yourself, you're going out of your comfort zone. And so I walked out, we'd done our rehearsals, I thought I knew the song pretty well. It was a song called uh, This Is The Moment uh, from Jekyll and Hyde. It was new to me, but I learned it, I was confident of it. How's it going? And I went give, out give, there. Give me a bit of how's it go, Henry. Uh, this is the moment, this is the day. When I send all my doubts and demons on their way. Uh, anyway, the the, 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 the chorus. The chorus. The chorus is this is the moment. <laughs> and it, it's got a big crescendo. It's a beautiful song. This is the moment. Time all the odds. This day you'll never outfit forever with And it had so much meaning for me because it's it's kind of it was my announcement that I was stepping out into the world of music. So wow. I, they were really good, good in their song selection on that occasion. Um, in any case, Guy Sebastian was the only one who didn't turn. Um, um, his uh, So Delta, Boy George, and Kelly Rowland all turned. Kelly Rowland right at the last minute. And of course, um, I was just wrapped to be through. My, my wife, my mom were there watching. Um, and it was a, it was a great moment. Um, a very... Are very different to what you see on TV. You know, you don't hear the big dush sound when someone turns. That's put in post. Oh, okay, um, so okay. So, so you just sing. You see some lights on the ground when they turn, etc. But that's it. And you get to the end of the song, and then you get applause from the audience. Then people say, "Oh, tell us about yourself." So, of course, Guy Sebastian says, "Oh, you're the cricketer, aren't you?" Because yeah, I think he loves his cricket. He does. He does. And 
And I said, yeah. And I said, but you know, guy, I would have gone with you. I ended up going with Kelly. I said, I would have gone with you, guy, because my wife walked down the aisle to your song, Angels Brought Me Here. Oh, and he didn't to, turn. And that was his reaction as well. He went, ah. Oh. Anyway, um, his, I think Guy kind of goes for like pop and R&B type voices. So he was honest about it. He said, well, that's the reason I didn't go for your voice. He says, I like your voice, but you're just not my, my cup of tea, which is fair enough. Um, and uh, so I went with Kelly and I think I should have gone with Delta, to be honest. Right. Um, because in the end, um, Kelly, um, I, look, I love Kelly a bit and she's a, she was a great mentor and all, but I think she already had, let me explain it this way, Howie. When we are doing the show, everything is compartmentalized. We don't see the other people perform. At all. So we've we've no idea how the person who was sitting next to you a few minutes ago went. If they go before you, they perform, then they're whisked off back to the hotel. So you don't know, the only people you might know will be the people who go before you because you've got to do sound checks uh they put you, they give you in-ear monitors yep. or they give you your mic and all that so you might hear the end of the previous performance and then once you're done you're out of there long story short when i watch the show it's in its entirety the guy i lost to in the in the battles uh a guy called denzel uh basically kelly had promised to take him through all the way to the end from his blind audition oh come on kelly so uh, in a sense, I was on a hiding to nothing from the start. But um, I also didn't help myself because in the second round, I, I I forgot my words on stage. Not once, but twice. Right. So, so I bowled a few no balls, mate, and I had to bowl okay. them again. Okay. Um, <laughs> but from so, the whole experience... When when it's completed, as I said, all of a sudden I saw this bloke that I knew as a test cricketer yeah. on my screen. Did 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 work start to come your way as a result of appearing on a show like that? Oh, absolutely. And I can understand all these people who just go on these shows who keep the gravy tra- train rolling in. I can understand why they do it. Uh, I can see why keeping yourself in the public consciousness um, is good for business. Um the booking started to come in and then there was a thing that happened which uh, happened over the last couple of years. Do you remember what that was? Uh, oh, yeah, COVID. So, I've got a slight so, memory tw- of us not being able to leave our homes in Victoria for 268 yeah. days. Yeah, that That's hurts. right, mate. That's right. So things were looking on the up. I got booked um, with some extraordinarily prestigious people. I, I gigged with the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra. Huh. Can you believe it, mate? Wow. So they, they, I did a gig with them. We called it the Sunset Symphony. Uh, it was at the Wetland Gardens here in Adelaide. <laughs> it was wonderful. We had about 2,000 people come. It was just just round about evening, just at dusk. Beautiful sounds. They played sh- stuff from the shows. I joined them for four songs. I gigged again with the police band, sold out concerts at the, 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 the hall, the same hall I gigged with them before. Gigged with the army band, the Adelaide Harmony Choir. Mate, it was looking up. And then... COVID. Mm. So now people are listening and they're hearing this remarkable story. When and how now can I go and watch you sing live? How, how can I see you perform? Where can I get tickets? What can I do? Look, I'd like to spread my, my wings and, and try and organise a tour at some point. And, of course, I'm not... I don't have management. I, I've got an agent, but I, I don't have a manager. I'm not signed to a record label. I got none of those uh, 
either advantages or hindrances. I don't know how you mm. describe them, but I, I don't have any of those commitments. So I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't matter to me if I toured somewhere in in Victoria and I I sung to two hundred people. You know, I'd be I'd be fine with that. I I'm not asking for sold out venues, but uh, watch the space. Follow me on my socials, and uh, in time it'll all become clear where I'm performing. I love it, Henry. We always finish this podcast the same way. We are blessed. We have a lot of children listen to this show with their parents on the way to maths class or piano class or cricket training or rugby training or whatever it may be. And we are lucky to have that type of audience. For all the youngsters out there to have listened to your story, you've achieved success in two fields, in cricket and music, and then you've made a massive impact on your country by what you did on the cricket field and standing up to a a brutal regime for those that are hoping to achieve success in their lives, Henry. And as a father, you'll understand the weight of this question. What would you say to those small minds that are hoping to achieve success in their chosen field? Um, The first thing I think I'd be careful to say is that the greatest achievement you can make is learning to accept yourself. I mean, it, it sounds trite and it sounds kind of almost old world, but You know, the world we live in now is so full of negative energy Mm. that you can go on Twitter and just innocently post something and the trolls come out just bashing you for something innocent you said. You know, the world that I grew up in as a kid didn't have that kind of pressure. It didn't force you to conform to anything. You didn't have to look great. You you know, you you didn't have to make yourself always look spick and span Mm. whenever you posted a picture of yourself. You didn't try to aspire to something that was unrealistic. You just were who you were. And I think there was a great charm to growing up in a world where you could be yourself and not thinking, well, I want to be like so-and-so and and I have to be like so-and-so, so so I've got to, you know, tweak this or tweak that or become this kind of person. And so, and I don't mean this in, in in an egotistical kind of way. But being kind to yourself is the greatest gift you can give to yourself because there will be knocks along the way in your chosen field, whatever it is. Um, I've been smashed all over the cricket park by by batsmen. I've forgotten my words on the um, on the national stage and I've had to watch the advert that says, you know that guy who does all the voiceovers and yeah. he says, who's going to lose it? This weekend on The Voice, you know, and you know I've it's had, you, and I know it's me. <laughs> so, so you've got to get your sense of worth from something that's more enduring than what people think or say about you. And I don't want to get too philosophical, but I think it's an important message for kids to know: is that the love of your friends and your family, and love for yourself in a healthy way, not like some narcissist is a very important part of being healthy and balanced and also makes you able to handle the knocks in life because there will be disappointments. You know, not everyone will get on the voice. Not everyone will make it, you know, in the upper echelons of sport uh, or whatever your chosen field is. So learning to to just take the rough with the smooth is important. And the, the foundation for that is understanding that you have value irrespective of what you do. The second thing I would say is just go out there and have fun, man. I mean, that's the whole point of why we do this thing called life, right? Yes. You don't want to be a morbid a morbid negative person who's always fixated with a cup being half empty. You want to go out there and if you're going to play cricket, 
Go out there, have a go, man. If you're a batsman, try and hit it for six. Don't go out there having a stodgy little, you know, he scored one off 20 balls like Olonga used to do, you know. <laughs> go out there, have a go. Try and hit it for six or hit it for four, on the ground for four. Um, or whether you sing, you know, whether you sing in the shower or you sing for your folks or you sing at a birthday party or you sing on The Voice, remember that the whole purpose of the arts is to bring um, joy to people. It's to in a sense, make the world more beautiful. And so for me, the message I would give to people who enter the arts is don't forget that. You know, don't get so stressed. Like one of the challenges of doing the arts for a living is you end up falling out of love with that thing that gave you tremendous pleasure. And I know I hear this often from professional artists, whether they be artists who draw or sing or whatever. So don't lose your love for it. Don't lose your passion. Um, That's why you do it. And that's why you got into it. My last piece of advice will be, and this is from my own life's experience, is don't don't put all your eggs in one basket. Try everything. You know, go and sing, play cricket, go swimming, you know, become good on the computer, but don't just don't stay stuck on it. Don't just sit behind that iPad. Go out there, learn how to do a somersault, you know, learn how to throw a javelin. Yeah. Um, go out there and try something new. Um and Obviously, it's going to take work, commitment, dedication, passion to polish it so that you're an expert at it. But I don't think the race is only for the best in this world. Everyone's got a story to tell. Everyone's got an adventure to live. And they must go out there and give their best and enjoy it. And at the end of their lives, um, perhaps they can look back and say, you know, I left no stone unturned. I stretched myself. I stood up for what was right. And I did. I gave my best at everything. And I tried uh, uh, various things in my life and my life has been richer for it so that's my advice I hope it helps someone out there Henry that is a wonderful all-encompassing answer thank you for joining me on the Artist Series you are the poster boy for what this series is all about go well look after yourself and sing up a storm great man thank you you too mate thanks for having me Henry, now there is a man with a story to tell and what a way he told it in. Thanks to Henry for coming on, educating me and singing. Next Tuesday on the Artist Series, the incredibly talented Anthony Kalea. Until then, peace and love. Listener.